You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Sean, for those who haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and let our listeners know what we're talking about today. My name is Sean Duffy. Uh, The company is Integrity Pharmacy Consultants. I've uh, been in business for about seven years exclusively helping independent pharmacy owners and networking them with people who either want to buy or sell a pharmacy. Uh, We specialize, that's all we do. I'm a registered pharmacist, uh, second generation, grew up in independent pharmacy. Myself personally, I I actually went the chain route because the pharmacy was sold when I was in, my, my father's pharmacy was sold when I was in pharmacy school, so I got myself out of there and now help in independence. We're going to talk a little bit about buying and selling a pharmacy in today's environment, uh, how the valuations have changed, uh, what's different, um, and, and where do we see, see things going. All right, Sean, so you brought this up, so I take it we can go there. You said your dad sold the pharmacy while you were in pharmacy school. Is that a good story? Is that a rough story? Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's neither, I guess. Um, he had a partner, right? So he was fifty percent partner with somebody else. It was a it was a busy independent. They were filling about six to seven hundred scripts a day, um, and a chain came along out of the Midwest called Hybe Drug Town, hmm. and offered them just a suitcase full of cash that was that was significantly more than what a, a three or four time even a four time multiple. Uh, what what I would be able to finance and be able to buy mm. it for. So there wasn't any ill will um, because he he and his partner did very well exiting the game. Um, but I just had to find something else to do. Is that something that you kind of knew that you were not going to be in the running? Or did you have it in your head going into pharmacy that you would buy into that? But the offer was so good that you would not have been close? Yeah, I I wouldn't have been close. Um, so that's that's I did I I got a college degree first and and uh, just bachelor general studies went back to get the pharmacy degree and the reason I went back was to hopefully you know work for and then buy in and take over the pharmacy. Um, unfortunately, it didn't you know they just came and knocked on his door and offered him a price and. It wasn't my pharmacy, right? So yeah. he and his partner discussed it, and they decided this is this is too great to pass up, and it was kind of that was it. You know, in a matter of a few months, um, they ended up selling it, which good for them. I, I mean, how did your dad approach that with you? I know it wasn't yours. He didn't he didn't have to, but I'm sure he did. Yeah, um, he said, "Listen, with." Um, you know, we're getting to the point that me and my partner want to retire, and his partner wanted to retire more than he did. Mm-hmm. So it was it was kind of being forced by his partner mm-hmm. that said, "You know what? We need to take this offer because I'm ready to retire. Yeah, and I think it's a great offer, and I want to be out. And it's something where I would not have been able to compete with the offer to buy his partner out." Not only maybe would you not be able to compete, but maybe even if 
at that time, the partner wanted to go, let's say the huge offer wasn't there. Let's just say a normal offer was there at the time. If the partner wants to go, you don't have the funds right away coming out of college. And unless your dad's going to spot the partner 50%, I mean, it's almost like whatever the offer would have been, if he's ready to go, he's kind of ready to go. Yeah, but we would have been able to figure something figure out. Figure something I, out. You know, today you've got your live oaks and first financials yeah. that, that support. You only need 10, well, really 12% down to be able to do it. And if the owner carries a portion of the note, uh, then I, I think you can do it for as low as 5% down. Yeah. So that that's something that we could have done and would have been able to work out through a financing piece of it. But the the multiple, the cash flow would have never worked from a, a loan perspective yeah. to, to pay him off. So what are you thinking when you hear that then? Yeah, you know, it's challenging. And he even told me back then, this is in the early... This is probably 1990, he told me. I don't know if you want to go into pharmacy. The margins are getting really tough. <laughs> He's telling you that before you're going to pharmacy school. Yes, right. Yeah, right. He's like, I don't, I'm not sure you want to do that. And, you know, retrospect is, I think every owner would gr- be very happy to have those margins from yeah, 1990. For right? sure. For sure. So he tells you that, but you go into it anyway. Right. Yeah, it's... it's uh Something I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. I wanted yeah. to, you know, carry in in the tradition of pharmacy, be like my dad, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it just seemed like a natural thing for me to do. I was yeah. good at science. I was good at math. I was good working with people. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a natural type of fit for me. Pharmacy has been good to me. And people ask me, they say, are, are any of my kids going to go into it? I'm like, well... So far, none of them. And I say, it's important for me to tell them that if any of them want to go in because they love the science, they love the people, they love this, anything you might love about pharmacy, they should only go in for that reason. Thinking that our pharmacy is going to be there, you know, years or even months from now, you just don't know. I mean, years ago when I was in pharmacy school, you could maybe look out maybe 20 years, maybe two years. Now you can't look out two months or sometimes two weeks, something could happen to bring your business under. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's frightening. And, and when I work with owners, I, I, you know, I might be able to bring, bring them an offer and they said, yeah, that's not really quite what I need to retire on. I think I'm going to stay in business again. And the thing I try and emphasize the most is, you know, this is the offer today, you know, right now. And there's so many different things that can change that. Um, for, for instance, let's say the DEA comes in because you filled a couple prescriptions from a doctor that they've been monitoring. And all of a sudden they come in your pharmacy, they do their audits and they find, um, I've had a situation where there was a change of ownership, but the power of attorney was not updated. And because of that, they asked them to surrender their DEA license. And and they did. They didn't know better than that. So you go from a very profitable pharmacy. It would have sold for over $10 million and uh, sold for less than five. I saw Natalia on your website, and we had her on the show a f- few months ago. And we were talking about a DEA agent on 
her show and his method was to go into every pharmacy and tell them to turn in their DEA license. I mean, that that's what he did. You know, that that's just how he did it. It, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And, and they come in, it's not just one person. They come no. in with a team. Yeah. They're all wearing DEA jackets. They've all right. got assault rifles. Yeah. They're like a SWAT team. <laughs> yeah. And they're just out of intimidation. And it's, it's their job to get as many pharmacies to surrender their DEA license to, to make it look like they're doing something, which is really, really sad because the majority of the owners I've seen this happen to, it really shouldn't have. You know, they, obviously there's some that they, they cross the line and, and, and I yeah. get it, but the majority, they're not significant enough to do that. So getting back to it, the value of your pharmacy could change Overnight, literally overnight. So, Sean, over the years, you've been in here seven years, and mm -hmm. thinking back to even when your dad was in business, looking at the value of the pharmacy, the sale price of the pharmacy, was there any year that it actually dropped significantly in one or two years? From an independent perspective, no, not really. Um, the banks used to give a higher multiple when when deciding how much uh, money they were going to give out on a uh, how much money they were going to loan on a pharmacy. It, it was more typical to see a three and a half or a four four time multiple, mm -hmm. but now we're seeing it as low as a two and a half to a three time multiple when they're valuing the pharmacy and how much money they're going to loan for it. Multiple of their oh, I'm sorry, their uh, EBITDA. So their net gotcha. profit, yeah, their, their adjusted profit. net profit. Once you go through the P and L and and you know take care of your expenses that aren't true expenses, add them back. Yeah, it's going to be right now. It's two and a half to three times the multiple is what the banks will loan on. Hmm. I imagine that in some pharmacist's mind, when they look at their store, they maybe can pick a year where they think their value went down. You know, they can look and say, oh, that's a year we kind of lost our profitability or lost a bunch of profitability, maybe went up. But on the industry average, maybe you didn't see a year that dropped across the board for everybody. I Nothing comes to mind from an independent perspective. From a, from a chain perspective, yes. Um, if you've got somebody looking to buy you, CVS over the past several years has been the most aggressive chain as far as the offers that they give and how they reimburse for uh, different things in inventory. And uh, there was a time where they were purchasing Target, right? And mm -hmm. they didn't want to violate any um, FTC regulations or monopoly regulations. So they basically stopped buying for a year. So that that affected the market because we weren't getting as high as offers from that perspective. Um, and right now, it, it's things have changed significantly with them again, where instead of acquiring files, they're really not doing much of any right now, unless hmm. it's a, unless it's the only store close to them and they get it, they get to buy it at a, at a pretty good price. They get a kind of a bargain on it. Because they're closing 900 stores over the next three years. Right. And they're, they're focusing that help that was acquiring business now to try and retain the business of the stores they're closing. They've got, I would say, eight 
acquisition directors, regional directors of acquisitions, and they're going to repurpose their time instead of going out and finding files to buy, pharmacies yeah. to buy. They're now going to be assigned to the closing stores, their CVS closing stores, gotcha. and try and retain those patients and prescriptions into other CVSs that are going to remain open. When you were saying that for a while there, they didn't, they weren't buying because they were purchasing Target stores. So then the demand goes down, then the prices go down for pharmacies, right? Because the other competition doesn't have to fight with CVS to, to buy something. Um, we really haven't seen that. We haven't seen, I haven't seen the prices change with the other competitors. I've actually seen Walgreens, Rite Aid, uh, Albertson Safeway. I've actually seen their, them get a little bit more aggressive as far as their appetite to get files and to give good prices on them. So you're, but you're right. You, one might think, Without somebody setting the 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 expectations out there, the the highest person being gone, you would think that it would go down. But maybe they're just taking advantage of the situation, getting as much as they can. Um, a lot of stores, if if there's a potential buyout, like if if Rite Aid is setting themselves up to be purchased by a large organization, they're going to want to increase their sales, so they're going to be really aggressive. Trying to get, trying to get inorganic scripts into their pharmacies. Yeah. Um, same with Walgreens. If Walgreens was setting themselves up to go to a private equity, I would think that they would want to bring more scripts to make it look more attractive to a a potential buyer. I guess the this is basic economics. I'm sure. I'm just kind of thinking as we go here. But if you're in a small town with two pharmacies, one being an independent and one being a chain, the chain can basically say, we're not going to buy anything. I mean, we know that 90% of your customers are going to come to our pharmacy. So the only reason they're buying the files is because of the competition, basically, right? Correct. And and you do have to be careful um, how you approach a chain in that situation, because like you said, well, we'll just wait for them to close and get it for free. Not right. not that they're always like that, um, but but I've seen times where they said, "Well, why why do we need to purchase that if we're going to get the patients anyway?" Yeah. So it's it, it's how you go to the change. You would go to them. Well, we're thinking about selling, and make sure they don't know that the owner needs to close. Right? You got to play yeah. the game a little bit. Uh, you got to be coy. I guess in my example there, the other option, and you brought that up right now, Sean, let's go back to this small town with two pharmacies, the independent and the chain. They might want to entice the independent to close with money. So that's a huge thing. In a small town, in this example, by no means do you want the chain to know the independent's going to be closing because they might buy it to entice them to close. Correct. And, and like, like in a situation where they're really aggressively trying to increase their sales to meet their stockholders' expectations, to make sure the stock doesn't drop, you know, that's one of the ways the companies will, will increase their or keep their stock value up is by 
putting in some of these acquired scripts. So in that situation, yes, then they could entice and maybe give a higher than normal price, but you got to approach it the right way because if they smell blood in the water, right, they, they may say, well, I don't need to pay much for that or right anything. So it's all about the approach and it's very sensitive from an owner's perspective. How do they do that? How do they, how do they get that out there and, and say it the right way so they do get their value? Now, in a situation like that, that and, and you do have an aggressive chain, your store is going to be worth more than probably any other store because they're probably going to retain 100% of that business. Most of the time when a chain is going to make an offer to purchase your files, they're going to estimate, depending on the location and how many other competitors there are and third-party plans, they're going to estimate 30 to 40% retention is all the scripts they're going to retain after a year's time. Hmm. But in this situation where there is no other option for those those patients, they're basically going to get 100% of those scripts after a year's time, unless they go to mail order or something else. Now let's leave the small town. We get into a bigger town and you're a pharmacy with five chains within you know, a mile radius of you or something. So then what goes out the window then now... Now it's okay to say the owner wants to get out because now the competition is against those five, or do you still have to play that game of saying you're not, you know, you're thinking about it kind of thing? What are the dynamics there as far as the the mental aspect? That That's a completely different conversation in that, that situation because now you're trying to play uh, the chains off one another and yeah. trying to negotiate or leverage a higher price saying, well, you know, chain A, you know, right now they've got a higher bid than, than you do. You, you can't tell them what that is, but you, you can say right now you're not going to get the files. So if you, if you really want these files, you're going to have to improve your offer. Um, so yes, you do. You want to say the owner is willing to sell, but right now you're going to have to be more competitive on your price if you want these scripts. Because if the owner closes, then their competition is going to get it, and they don't want that either. If they get 30 or 40% of the prescription business, in that case, how much is it worth the one pharmacy to buy these, but then only keep 30 or 40% when the other ones are maybe going to get? 10 or 15%. I'm sure they know that, but it just seems like a lot of effort to be the one that buys it when all the other ones are going to get that runoff. Yeah, but it, it, it does work. It does work financially. You got to keep in mind that this is all in, mostly in, incremental business for them because they've already got rent. They've already got labor. You know, they might have to increase the tech labor a little bit, but this is all incremental. And, and then you also have to think about all the front end margins they're going to make by drawing more people into their stores. So it definitely works. So if you're going to have a shot at retaining 40% of that business than 15, then yeah, you're, you're going to make a bid to try and get it. And the, the retention that they estimate that they're going to keep, that definitely affects what they're able to pay um, an owner for their business. So the higher the retention, the higher the price per script. 
And they might have different areas. They might have better retention or they know how their business is doing going up or down and things like that. Yeah, like uh, uh, name recognition. So Walgreens is well known in Chicago. So if they buy something there, they're going to have a better retention than maybe yep. in Rhode Island or, you know, right? Yeah. They, they don't have the same name recognition there. All right, Sean, you mentioned this, and I feel in my gut this is what they do, but you said that the other one makes a bid. You said, like, it's common knowledge. You're not going to give the price of their bid, and I understand that too. But here's the thing, as I think about it, why not? Why can't you go to the one pharmacy and say, you know, you could put on your cowboy hat, Sean, and start being like an auctioneer, you know, and you could point to these five pharmacies and talk about the price. But that's not common, right? Well, we've got we've got confidentiality clauses in place with not only our sellers but the buyers as well. So it's confidential if we release their offer to somebody else. Now we can we can give a ballpark or steer in a certain direction, but we we just can't go out and say you know chain A is offering seven hundred and fifty thousand, so you're going to need seven hundred and seventy five thousand to increase that. We're going to we're going to go go about that conversation more guided. But why? Why do they do that? And I, I think I can think of answers, but why do they have that? I'm thinking in general, like this whole business, why do they do that? Why do they have the confidentiality? I can imagine why, but it would seem like it'd be kind of cool to actually name prices like an auctioneer. So why do they do the confidentiality? They don't, they don't want the competition to know what they're doing. They don't want the competition to know anything about their financials. Even when they do a, um, a what's called a due diligence report, mm-hmm. they'll hire one of the data conversion companies like Two Point or InfoWorks or something like that where they dial into the system and they extract the data and then they present it in a summary report so the chains can value how much they're going to pay for it. That the chains are very confidential that they don't want any other chains knowing what type of report they have. Hmm. It, it's just... So secretive. Yeah. And the, the other advantage is from an owner's, the, the seller's perspective, not listing an actual price. Because if you say, well, the offer on the table is $750, well, you've just set a, a ceiling cap. For the other buyers, right? That they're only going to okay. Well, if that's seven fifty. I only need to bet bid seven sixty. You might get it in way too low. Yeah. Do you find the chain people pleasant? A vast majority, um, because a we've got to have great relationships with them to be able to uh, work and and get a better price. But ninety percent of them are are very pleasant to work with. You know, they've got a job, they've got goals, they've got bonuses that they're trying to meet. So they're, they're trying to get deals done too. So it's, it's good for both of us when we have good relationships. But there's, there's a couple of acquisition directors or representatives for the chains that are just so um, tight with their offers. Um, they take it more personally like it's their their bank account. So mm-hmm. they're going to offer as little as they can to get the business. It's just the way they are. Outside of the money, though, are, are there some of their personalities that are like some people you don't like to deal with because of that part of the industry? Or would you say they're all sort of like 
pretty congenial, like nice people who know they have to sit at the table across from each other. So they all stay friendly. Are there any like problem people? Not really. No, not really. They, these positions are, are very um, sought after positions because they're not as, as stressful as, you know, the typical train uh, chain retail, where if you can get off and into this type of portion of the business, it's it's better to be in and you have to be you have to be a high performer to get to that level. So you might be a people person already. You've raised up some of the Correct. ranks of yes. Yes. knowing how to deal with different situations on a personal level and all the stuff that a people person might bring to it. Those are the people that you probably have here. Yes. Yep. Would they say that about you? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I I do. Of course. I'm joking. Of course you are. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm very honest. If I wasn't good at something or if I was whatever, I'd, I'd be the first to tell you, but we're, we're very honest. And that's one of the things that they appreciate from us. They know that we're not going to bring them a business where we know there's flaws in it or challenges where it's going to really, you know, it's really going to bite them in the butt. Yeah. Right. Um, because we, we won't do that. We won't sell a business if we know there's, there's some challenges that are hidden inside of it that's going to cost somebody. We, we just won't do that. Not thinking about hidden items. Let's say everything's out on the table. Are there any pharmacies that are not sellable. And you mentioned one, the lease is going to close and they don't have any options and the chain just gets them. Are there any pharmacies that are, I can't think of the reason, they're just not sellable. Either they're run by a, it's out on the table, but maybe they're run by a crime family out on the table or what things would preclude a chain from buying a place? Um, so uh, volume Believe it or not, there's lots of pharmacies out there that we see that are filling 150 to 200 scripts a week. Mm. Um, and when you mentioned, you know, is it really worth their time to go out and get 40% of the scripts? Yeah. Well, it's really not worth their time to get 40% of 200 scripts a week. Right. Because there's a lot of labor, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of coordination. Yeah. And it really doesn't make it worth their while. So sometimes a, a chain may just say, listen, we'll help you out and purchase your inventory, mm. but we're not going to pay you anything for your files. And you got you to gotta settle up your rent and your own and what other financial commitments you have. Um, another one would be uh, DEA issues. Mm. Um, if, you know, they were dispensing a lot of controls, they get their DEA license taken away. Um, all of a sudden, that DEA awareness gets transferred from the independent store now to the chain, and they don't want the D DEA coming into that chain and also looking for issues there. So they'd prefer to stay clear of that. Mm -hmm. Other issues would be uh, OIG, uh, fraudulent billing. They definitely do not want any office of the inspector general coming into their pharmacy because some of the prescription files they bought from the previous owner were fraudulent. Um, you, you never want to bring on big challenges um, like that into your store. In theory, there's corporate veils and there's, 
you're not buying their name, you're buying this and that, but it's like, why bother, right? That trail's still there. Yep. Have you ever gotten pretty far and a pharmacist says, oh, Sean, by the way, <laughs> at closing, you might see this document that talks about X and you're like, ah, you should have told me about X when it was like at A. So I'm, I'm in the process of closing on one right now, like this week. And they, the seller, um, made it public notice that they were closing before they actually were. And it went up on the website and it went up on, uh, you know, they sent, I don't know if they sent letters to, to their patients, but um anyway it came to my attention and i i had to let the buyer know just so you know you know this is this is what happened because that gives the patients a chance to go the patient an opportunity to go somewhere else before they even purchase the files did the seller do that on purpose because he or she felt bad that they were going to hold these files hostage or they weren't thinking they were in negotiations with somebody else where they thought a cell was imminent in the next two to three weeks and that fell apart um their employees were also part of a union mm. so they had to do certain notifications to their employees per the union rules mm. i i had to notify the buyer just but uh, we're still continuing with the sell. They just reduced the purchase price on it. A lot of the sellers will have a side agreement, right? How much of the business they retain. It's part of the contract. It's, it's part of the purchase agreement for the chains where if, if you drop, typically it's if you drop more than 5%, then they'll prorate the purchase price. I was talking like after purchase, but you're saying that let's say you agree to something and then at closing 30 days later or 60 days later, then they do another poll and it's in the contract. If you were stupid enough to announce to the world you were selling and if this goes down five or 10%, the contract itself says we're going to cut this down to this. Right. And, and so they, they've had owners in the past that once they've struck a deal, they sign the contract. There's been an owner once that closed the pharmacy down for a week and went on vacation. Not so smart. Now, it, it typically there's there's typically not a reduction because the owners typically do a pretty good job keeping the volume up. Yeah. Um, but in situations like this, it you know it's definitely going to hurt your business if you notify your your patients and your employees before you're supposed to. If you had to put together a let's say a YouTube video for your business and you had to have some archetypal pictures of a perfect seller and a perfect buyer and your interaction with them. What would you like that video to show? You know, would you like it to show two independents shaking hands because they bought from each other? Would you like to show a, you know, independent, you know, carrying bags of money away from a chain pharmacy. What is your like beautiful interaction if you could kind of pick one? I, ideally, it'd be the, the first situation you brought up. My, my heart will always be with the independence and, and I'd like to see 
independent pharmacies succeed. Um, so in, anytime we do sell to a chain, um, you know, it's, it's kind of bittersweet. We know we, we got money for the owner and they can retire, but we've got one less independent mm -hmm. out there. Um, I think, uh, NCA, NCPA came out where they think, uh, we're, we're now down to under 20,000 independent pharmacies in the country. I think it was like 19,700 and something. Uh, so it, it is tough to see that and we would love to have independent to independence. Um, but we don't make that choice. Our, our job is to hopefully bring a seller multiple offers, you know, whether it be the chain and independence or, or just private equity. And then we let the owner decide what's best for them and their, their family and retirement and their staff and whatever. So our, our goal is just to bring multiple opportunities and then let them decide what's best for them. So the, the handshake with the independence where you've got somebody that's gonna go off and be able to retire, spend time with their grandkids, go fishing, go hiking. Uh, just travel the world, whatever it is, and you see, you know, somebody coming in that's that's very eager with a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, and wants to wants to go out and really do something for independent pharmacy. That would be the ideal artwork of a picture mm -hmm. of a transaction. Yeah. Of the people that buy an independent and want to keep it as an independent. I'm sure that there's a gamut of those people. There's some who have never owned a pharmacy before. There's some pharmacies in the same town that want to expand. There's some people that come in maybe from a different state and kind of an independent slash small independent chain of five or six stores in the area or something like that. Do you cover all those and what am I missing? Um, so, so I would say the the vast majority of the independent buyers right now are typically smaller groups of owners getting together and just buying more stores and getting more of a, a network and more of a coverage. Um, because by going with, with more stores, they can then buy down their cost of goods sold with their wholesaler, right? They've got more leverage. Mm -hmm. They've got more stores. They've got more that they can negotiate. And a lot of times they'll bring in junior partners, some of the young, young pharmacists looking for an opportunity and have them run the pharmacy for them through, through their guidance. And then those, the, those junior partners then eventually go purchase their own pharmacy or they buy more ownership of the one they're in. So that's probably what we see the most of right now. How many people in that ownership group usually? Five, maybe. All pharmacists? Yeah, yep. That sounds terrible to me. It does? <laughs> we have a family <laughs> business, and my dad, he was a benevolent dictator for a while, then he died, now I'm the benevolent dictator because there's nobody else in the family in the ownership position except myself. Oh, it, just sounds, it just sounds terrible to have five different people owning something but i guess they're pulling their money right and all that stuff yep does that sound good to you would you like to have five equal partners with yourself i ideally not but it makes your transactions a lot easier because you've got a, a pool of of money instead of just 
getting one person financed and being able to, you know, sometimes put out a a big sum of money on a, on a down payment and qualify for a loan. Um, now you've got a pool of it and your risk is 20% yeah. versus a hundred percent too. So there's, there's stability in that as well, where if something goes wrong, you're not going to be penalized as much, right? Because you're only at 20% versus a hundred. Where would five of those people even meet? Would it be maybe pharmacists in a town that kind of start talking independence or something? Typically they're buying groups like a GPO or they're with McKesson or Cardinal. They meet at trade shows. Oh, I see. Maybe they're in the state or something like that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They're, they're usually within a geographical area where they've, they've got commonalities, whether it's the state pharmacy association Mm -hmm. or, um, uh, they meet at PDS or PRS or, some of the other consulting firms that help with, with pharmacies and help invigorate your business. The pharmacy law where you need to have a pharmacist there to be open. That's been the good thing about me having just one pharmacy because I kind of put on an air like I pretend to be a nice guy, but deep down it's like I'm competitive and I like to tell people to go screw themselves if they test me too much or, 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 uh, try to stand up to me too much, you know, when I want my way or whatever. And so I would never want to be in a position where, you know, I've got like two pharmacies or three pharmacies and somebody knows that they, they got me because they know I can't be in two places at once. And that's the beauty of having my one store is because I can be a nice guy when I, think I should, but I can be a difficult person when I think I should. And I'm not afraid of anybody walking out on me because I can just go and be there. My point of the five owners, I suppose there's some value there too, of just having five people with a license being able to jump in if they need to, not that they're all working the bench, but I think that would give a little bit of solace to me too, if I had more than one store. Yeah, you're not you're not on your island by yourself. There's more options, and the more stores that you get, you're, you're like you said, you're typically not going to be on the bench. You're going to be spending all of your time managing the business, and you've got people that that you're developing to to do what you would have done when you were there, right? Yeah. So it's just a development process, and and just trying to keep the business going, keep it profitable, looking for opportunities where for improvement to, to improve the profits basically. And and it's hard to do when you're filling scripts all day long to be able to do that as a one store owner. Yeah. Because there's typically not as much volume to allow you to pay somebody to where you don't have to be on the bench at all, right? Right. So there, yeah, there's definitely some advantages and and disadvantages. It all depends on, you know, are you more on the business aspect and just want to run multiple stores and just business or you want to be in the weeds and still work with the patients and the people from the community and your employees. I think you found a soft spot in me, Sean, because I don't want to work with partners. I also don't want to work with the customers or the employees. (laughs) (laughs) It's the truth. It's the truth. You know, and I always thought that maybe I would do multiple stores 
it, it just seemed the time wasn't right. As soon as I kind of thought of it, you just see a lot of the writing on the wall of the, you know, the, the PBMs and that kind of stuff. And then it's like, ah, uh, that just sounds like a, that sounds like a headache. And it probably was a situation where our pharmacy was busy enough that I wasn't in there all the time. And I was able to have a decent staff. It wasn't until the last couple years that I'm in there a lot more. And I would not want to have had a life of that. But at this point, it's like, I also don't want the headache of, you know, owning a few stores just to not be in there. So. Well, especially when you're used to running the business the way you want to run it, because you're not going to be able to duplicate yourself as much as I'd love to duplicate myself and and be in different parts of the country and and covering everything myself. You can't. You you just have to, you know. I guess put your trust in them, and that's hard to do sometimes, right? Yeah. Put your trust and help develop and whatever. But yeah, my problem with the pharmacy, whenever I was away from it, it wasn't so much that I didn't trust them with the customers. It was pleasurable to have the store well-manned, well-personed, and I didn't have to be there. My concern was not so much were they treating the customers well. I spent too much time focusing on was I treating my team well so that they would stay there so I wouldn't have to come in and do it myself, (laughs) you know, and it wasn't worth it because you can't keep people happy. And if they want to go, they're going to go anyways. And I put on too much of a nice face and I should have let the real person out more and just been more honest with people because it's not worth pandering to them. They're going to leave anyways if they want to. Yeah. So Sean, what in general, when you have an independent that's going to sell outside of any non-tangibles of maybe being, you know, trying to be good to the area and trying to have your, you know, the store stay independent and all the things that are maybe the intangibles. Is there any value outside of that for an independent to sell to an independent? Or is it a no brainer to say in most cases, you're going to have a chain by you. Oh, no. Yeah, so I I would definitely not say that. Um, I I think the independents have become more competitive with the chains because, you know, with with this big player out, you know, they're not offering the um, $17, $18, $20 a script anymore. Uh, typically you're seeing 12 to 15, maybe 16 per annualized script is, is what the chains might be paying. With a big buyer out being CVS that we talked about? For the most part, yes. For the most part, they're not nearly as aggressive and, and I don't yeah. expect them for at least a year or so to, to do anything. So the demand's down and then you're at a lower prescription reimbursement. Right. And and there are opportunities. We're we're actually seeing more independent to independent uh, transactions that that are happening than, than we've had in the past because there there were some of these monster paydays. I mean, they they were they were pretty pretty lucrative. 
and those aren't there anymore. Not as much. Not as much no. Again, taking away the intangibles, are there times when the actual finances come out better to sell to a independent than to a chain? Yes, I've I've got one in California now that it's it's significantly worth more to an independent because they've got specialty involved. Hmm. Um, they've got uh, they do a lot of psych meds, some of the the high dollar injectables. They've got a, a great rebate program going. Um, you know, a lot of chains are looking for traditional retail scripts too. If you've got a blended pharmacy where you're doing 70% retail and 30% compounding, you know, the chains aren't going to want that 30% compounding. So they're, they're only going to want the 70% retail, but an independent comes in heck yeah, I want that compounding business because that's generating a lot of cash, a lot of gross. So in those situations, it's definitely um, you're more geared to an independent buyer. And also, let's say you got a split between uh, retail and, and LTC. LTC is paying more, you know, higher gross margins if you're you're set up differently through your licensing and, and purchase contracts. So you can actually make quite a bit more than, than a typical independent. So it makes it more valuable to an independent buyer than it's going to be to a chain. Hmm. And sometimes you got the building there, right? Yep. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's, let's say you own the building, you sell your, your patient files and your inventory to a chain. Well, what are you going to do with the building? I, I don't know what the, the real estate market's like. A lot of owners like to continue renting and have, uh, you know, a continual income just based on the rent. And the only way you're going to do that is sell to an independent. So th these are all the things that we we work with an owner on to say, hey, you've got to you've got to weigh everything out because there's different different pieces of this this puzzle that's going to make it different. Um, we've got another situation where. Um, it's, it's actually a small regional chain looking to buy out a few pharmacies. And it's an independent small regional chain, yeah. right? Not a chain chain. Um, and they, there's a chain right next to them as well. And the chain offer is better. However, the small regional independent is offering them a supervisory type role and a high salary. Hmm. And they're going to rent the building as well. So there's other things that an owner is going to consider that even though the offer for the chain is better, I believe the offer from the, the small regional overall is probably the best thing. And quality of life, yeah. right? So this guy's still fairly young, still has probably 15 years left to work. You know, I'd rather be working for a, a small regional chain, helping with the management and business part of it than working for a chain. Yeah. I don't picture myself doing this, but let's say someday I'm not working at my pharmacy and I'm at somewhere else. And it'd be easier to be somewhere else and doing what they say to do. It'd be hard as hell to be in your own store. And one day you're the boss and the next day someone else is your boss and you haven't had a boss in 40 years. Yeah, it's a hard transition now because of there, there might be a lack of different opportunities for 
this person to make an income, they they may do it for an ex, you know a while, even though it's not the yeah. most optimal work environment for them. So it it still provides that income that they need. You know, it's just you know what what's best for them overall. Yeah. Let's say someone calls your place, Integrity Pharmacy Consultants, and they say, hey, Sean, we're thinking of selling, but it's, you know, it's probably going to be three, five years out, whatever, just just thinking down the road. What business decisions? I'm not talking what do they have to do for you guys, because I'm sure there's different forms they can fill out and talking to you and this and that. What business decisions when should they, would they start changing their business? Would they start getting more low paying insurances on, getting rid of low paying insurances, start cleaning up this, get rid of some services that aren't good, or maybe bring on some services that are lower paying, but it would look good for the buyer. What kind of things would they do three to five years out that might help make their business more valuable? So I, I don't think you'd even need to go back three to five years. I think if you go back two years is probably the time to start thinking about it. Um, so store cleanliness and is the store updated? How is the store, is it presentable? You know, similar if you have a board of pharmacy inspection, right? Mm-hmm. The inspector comes in, the cleaner, the more organized the pharmacy, the less issues that they're going to suspect or dig for. Because they're going to make the assumption that everything's nice. Like a clean bathroom at a restaurant or something. Yeah, and when you walk into a pharmacy, are the fixtures updated? Is it clean? Are the shelves stocked? Or are there a bunch of holes? Or are there dirt on it? You know, just, just look at your store from the customer's perspective. Because as an owner, you go in that store every day for how many years? Sometimes 30, 40 years. For sure. And you never see, you never take the time to see what a customer sees. That's right. But step back and and walk into your store. Well, actually start outside your store. Look in the parking lot. Look at the signage. You know, are the li- all the lights on? Look from a cu- customer's perspective and what are they thinking and start to improve, um, you know, to, to make it more updated probably a couple years because sometimes it will take time. Um, one really important thing is that we've seen owners that have not billed through insurance because they would rather just maybe, uh, I know they're not supposed to do this, but they do. They just match the copay and charge them a cash price. So they're not paying mm-hmm. switch fees and other things like that. Well, that could hurt them when they go, if they go to sell to a chain. Because one of the things the chains will look at is the percentage of cash prescriptions to their total business. If Hmm. you get over maybe 5% total cash prescriptions, they're going to start discounting how many prescriptions they think they're going to retain. Because their cash model is a lot higher than what most independents are. So they don't think they're going to retain those scripts. So you need to start billing those to insurances so they don't discount those prescriptions if a chain's looking to buy you. The chain doesn't think they're going to retain the cash, cash prescriptions? No. no. Why not? Because their cash prices are a lot higher 
than independents. Unbeknownst to most people, their cash prices are higher. A lot higher. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that's one thing, your financials. You know, a, a lot of business owners are going to put additional expenses on the profit loss statement to help minimize how much tax they got to pay at the end of the year, right? Their delivery car might be a, a Lexus or a, you know, something like that. They need to start cleaning up the P&L and only put true business expenses on it. So when it does come time to sell, there's not as much gray matter, you know, somebody trying to sort through, well, should this be an ad back? Is this not an ad back? You want to look the profit loss statement, look as profitable as you can. So keep those non-business necessary expenses off of the P&L a couple years before. What personalities do you hate working with? <laughs> not your fellow employees, potential customers. Um, the, the ones probably that don't trust people. You know, hmm. it seems like you're doing everything you can to help them. And that's one of the benefits of working with somebody like us is yeah. we've been through the process time and time and time again. So we're not recreating, you know, the, the handbook of what do you need to do to close a pharmacy? We, we, yeah. but it, it seems like sometimes owners just don't trust, they don't trust anybody. Not, not that it's just us and it's just a fight almost pulling teeth trying to get through this process and getting them to understand and explaining why we're doing certain things to get to a certain endpoint. So that that's probably the 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 most challenging ones but we we haven't ever had a client and I've been doing this 7 years been disappointed. So we're not going to expect a challenge coming out of this. I don't trust people a lot of time. Years ago, I was getting my, I was in a wedding and I was getting my pants, uh, what do you call it? Hemmed or, yeah, pants hemmed by this tailor, you know, and this guy's done this, you know, <laughs> thousands of times, you know, and I'm like questioning him. It's like, I'm looking behind. It's like, are you sure? Yeah. You know, and I was probably nervous about the wedding or something like that, but it's like, if I were, this guy would have made my pants look like knickers or something to teach me a lesson, you know, but I, I have a hard, time. but it's such a, there's a lot of tension, you know, when you're selling your, I don't, I don't think of my store this way necessarily, but a lot of people are selling their baby, you know, and they're, and there's a lot of tension that goes along with that. So a lot of times that comes out in oddities of human nature. It is. It's a very stressful and emotional process for an owner. Yeah. And, and it's going to be, and, and we just ask the owner, you know, try when you are making decisions, you know, making the decision to sell or keep running, whatever it is, you know, try and take the emotion part of it out Yeah, and, and step back and, and make a business decision that's going to be best for you and yeah. your family. The stress part, we can help with that, right? We, we know exactly what to do. So we just Tell them, here's what we need to do, do, do. So that comes out of it. But the emotion part, that's that's tough. You know, when's the time? Right. You know, there's so many owners that we've worked with over the years that it's always, well, I'm going to see if I can bring my business up or make it more profitable. Yeah. And maybe, so it's the one more year syndrome, right? But yeah. it never gets better. 
That's interesting. On your website, you've got in your about page, you've got a, a lot of nice profile pictures of people and a crap load of them are pharmacists. Nearly all of them are former owners, yes. maybe, right? Yeah. Actually, um, uh, you know, the way we got connected, right? John was just out introducing himself. Yep. He recently sold three of his pharmacies in, in California. California, and, yeah. You know, he, he wanted something to do because he's younger. He, I think he's in his forties. I don't know exactly. Yeah. And that was one of the, the benefits working with us is I'm like, you want to move to Michigan? Well, I've got a whole five state territory that I, I could use somebody like you in. And, uh, that was one of the decisions for him to sell because he, he did find another opportunity because he wasn't done working, but he found something to do where it wasn't being a business owner again, an independent owner or working for a chain or something like that. So that, that, that worked out to his advantage, but he being through that experience, he saw how valuable it was having somebody help and he, he wants to go out and do the same thing and help other owners share that knowledge and experience. He stopped in and I typically blow most people off, but I forget why I didn't blow John off though. He might've said he was from a broker or that he was a pharmacist or something like that. What I like though, is that he sent me a, uh, Oh, kind of a, kind of a sheet that I could fill out for a confidential appraisal or something. And I got it a couple months ago. I like that. He hasn't followed up though on purpose. I know he could have. It's not like he didn't follow up because he lost my information. He said, do this at your leisure. And I know that someone like that knows that there's a timing that goes along with these things and you can't press somebody or else they feel pressed. That's my thought, at least, of what is transpiring there. So, and, and exactly, that's, that's one of the things I get really passionate about. So, one of the things our company does differently from anybody else out there is our our listing agreements are non-exclusive. So mm. if if you don't feel that we're bringing the right buyers or getting the right offers or anything else like that, you can go and search through different avenues to sell your store and not pay us any type of fee. You know, we really have to earn what we get where everybody else, they're going to tie you into an exclusive listing agreement. So yeah. whether they help you sell or not, if you sell, you're going to pay them a fee. So that's, that's kind of the trust thing that we, yeah. we throw out there where we're not pressuring you to do anything. Yeah. And I think that came looking at all those RPHs on there of, of knowing that there's a kinship, you know, with your team. So that was cool to see. Well, and, and, Three of them were acquisition directors with the chains. And oh, is that right? Yeah. So they know we know all the ins and outs, right, of how yeah. to negotiate because they were on that side doing it with independence for years. Oh, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Well, Sean, nice meeting you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I hope to to. To at some point get up. Actually, I'm going to be, I'm flying up there. John and I are going to have a booth at the Michigan Pharmacy Association. Are you going to be there? I 
don't think so. I know Scott Knorr from APHA said he was coming too, and uh, but maybe I should now. I've got two people asking me about it. Yeah, so we're just going to go and meet some owners. Well, it's like in February, I think. It's uh, the last weekend of February. Yeah, I should think about I should think about doing that. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's it's funny. I've got a friend in town uh, that came to see me that we used to work together, and his wife grew up in Grand Rapids. So oh. he he was he was listening to your podcast this morning. Oh, some of your podcasts, and noticed you were there, and he's oh, that's where Kristen grew up. I don't go to many pharmacy things because my kids are just getting to the age where my wife and I will leave them more often. And I don't go to a ton of those things. And if I do, I don't know if I want my first one to be like Detroit in the winter time. <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't do it for me. And did I see you've got 10? 10, 10 kids. Yeah. 10 kids. Yeah. What are their uh, ages, age ranges? They're from 29 down to 11. My goodness. The younger one is just starting to be, you know, on his own and stuff. The problem, though, with a lot of kids is the youngest two are like 11 and 13, but they act like they're about three and five, you know, because all the older siblings kind of baby them a little bit and they kind of get their way because as the kids started growing up, take a seven or eight year old, he's already got like five or six younger siblings and you grow up pretty fast to your eight year old. You say, hey, cool it. I got to deal with the babies. But now the 13 and 11 year old can act like babies because there's no one below them that needs the attention. So we got to push them along. <laughs> well, Sean, boy, thanks for being on and thanks for sharing all that information. Good stuff you're doing. Thank you. This, uh, this, this went really fast. I can't believe we've been talking this, this long, but it, it was a great getting to know you more. Um, during this interview as well, and and looking forward to meeting you at some point in the, the near future. Yeah, maybe we'll run into each other in the frozen tundra of Detroit, but hopefully it's somewhere warmer than that. Yeah, well, if you make it down to any of the Orlando conferences or anything. That sounds better. <laughs> All right, Sean, take care. Thanks. Yep, thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.